Hey everyone, this is Gris Alves, and welcome to Tales of Recovery. Walking my mother home is today's title. My mom passed away a couple of days ago, and it's been such a profound experience of accompanying her through these last couple of years, and just the kicking and screaming at the beginning of everybody and trying to keep her healthy and safe and strong and just this journey of transformation that went down until she passed last week and we had an at-home funeral and it was like a dream. I feel like I'm still kind of in the dream and I want to honor my mom and what she gave me and what she taught me in these past two years. So this one's for you, Queen Greece. Tales of Recovery. Over two years ago, my mom had a stroke, and I had just come out of finishing a two-year certification, deep, in-depth study of thanatology and spiritual intelligence. Thanatology is a scientific study of death and the practices associated with it, including the study of the needs of the terminally ill and their families. But really, this program is about any type of loss and about the depth of spirituality, um, besides the scientific study, it's just kind of like the connection that we miss out on and the the medical community misses out on as um, the terminally ill are going to pass. You know, when you can't do anything more for a patient medically, how do you offer a lovely journey home? And there's so many different religions, so many different philosophies, so many different cultures, so many different ways of encountering death. And this is part of the program that that um, that I studied for two years. I really, really enjoyed it because it was so deep and I, everybody had to do so much work. I mean, talking about death is not something that we like to do. I mean, I like to do that <clears throat> unless you're like me, but... For the most part, nobody really likes to do it. And our culture is so far removed from death because we're not really living out in farms like we used to and death is more common and, you know, your your elders live with you and you walk them home and you bury them in your backyard. It just is so different now. You know, someone dies and you're, someone comes and takes the body and embalms them and five days later you're in the mortuary and it's just very, um, you know, they... Like they clean it up too much and, and and so far removed. And I don't know if you've had a dear person close to you die, but about 10 years ago, one of my dear friends had a funeral for her sister. We all kind of grew up together in Tijuana. And we I had had the privilege to be around the family the last couple of weeks of her life here. And when she had the viewing at her home, I remember very, very clearly that you know, they had the, her house was set up with beautiful flowers and candles and incense. And our friend was laying there in this bed that was superly beautifully made with all of these, um, like shawls. And I asked her, how did you do this? Like, this is amazing. And she had a friend that had a company called Threshold that uh, their main mission was to bring back the sacredness of death, right? Bringing the sanctity back to death. And their mission was really to embrace this new uh, parto. It's like a birth of, you know, you're, you're going back home where you came from and just embracing it and, and allowing it to be organic and natural. And I was so deeply moved and impressed by that, that, Several years later, when my father-in-law died, I said, I need to talk to your friend um, who helped you with your sister's funeral. And, you know, we host uh, these things called Death Cafe, where everybody gets together and we talk about some of the studies of thanatology and, you know, being, you know, a grief walker and death in general and really what do you think about it. And we we house these groups and lots of people come in figuring it out. I've been believing this religious thing for so long and I'm scared to die or, or my mom's really sick or I had a near-death experience or I did. And it's super interesting how 
different a group is run when there's really no belief system when we just sit there and nobody knows what like we really admit we don't know what's going on we just know that we are experiencing this embodiment and it's crazy and uh, my mom actually came to one of these death cafes one time she wanted to come to everything in the last couple of years she came to the death cafe and actually shared her story which was beautiful her story of struggling with you know cancer and the chemotherapy years and years ago and then radiation and then this other thing and then you know the the second hand you know the effects of all the other medications and and the whole time she always had this amazing sense of humor but anyway I finished this um, thanatology study when my mom had the stroke I just thought this is like what like I've been getting prepared for this. And when my mom ha uh, had the stroke, we got a call at three in the morning. My sister and I went down to TJ and brought her back up here because her insurance was up here. And they stayed at my house. Well, we were in the hospital for many, many days. And then th she stayed at my house for a couple weeks and with my sister. And I thought, okay, well, I think I'm ready for this. I don't know. And then she got a little bit better and a little bit better. And then it was like, okay, let's uh, let's move them into my home. No, you know, there's still so much, you know, they, they have lots of friends and lots of family. And so we rented a, a house right down the street from my house. Then this two-year journey began of trying everything under the sun to help her get better. Um, we switched insurances and, and found new doctors. And I never I mean my parents took care of themselves they did their thing they went to their doctor's appointments and we saw them every week twice or three times a week my parents were always at my house but I never knew if they'd seen the doctor or not and you know my mom had been in and out of the hospitals fainting for many many years but it was like okay another time she's fine back home or my sister was always there and she was with my dad and I didn't really know in depth all of the things that were happening with her in her body until this stroke happened. And I went in and I said, what the hell are we doing with Kaiser insurance? No, we need to switch insurances. So we switched insurances. I remember my mom not wanting to because she said they were really nice at Kaiser. I said, yeah, but you know, they're pumping you up with meds. So let's just go to Blue Shield. Let's just find better doctors because why not? <laughs> this isn't really working so far. And you know, we got in new doctors and geriatric doctors and the cardiologist and the endocrinologist and the new neurologist and everybody. And, you know, I met a few and we fired them. And then we went to the other one until finally this amazing team came together and was able to kind of turn around a lot of the damage that had been done with the stroke and with other medical care. Um, they finally figured out that she actually needed a pacemaker um, and that helped so no more fainting spells and then she had an ablation and that also helped and all of these different um, removal of certain medications and adding several medications and of course I went in there and said mom we have to quit eating sugar we're going to do this nutrition program we're going to do go to yoga and do meditation and we started and we got a yoga teacher coming in every day to breathe with her. We did magnet therapy and somatic experience sessions and, you know, <laughs> um, acupuncture and all of the different alternative methods along with whatever our doctor was telling us to do. And my mom loved it. She said yes to whatever we wanted to try. And there was still so much pain and still so much struggle with the different types of medication that some of these doctors gave her. Like, not the main doctor. It was mainly the one neurologist. Like, here, just try this pill. Now try this one. Now try this one. And by then, I was pretty much seeing her every day, every day, every day. And so you're able to see, hmm, I don't think this medicine is going to work very well because she just sleeps all day where she was not sleeping all day before okay let's switch the medicine switch the medicine until finally i think it was my aunt that said you know you know marijuana is legal now why don't you give her some cbd because that might help with the pain oh mom do you want to smoke some weed do you want to get some of these cbd oils of course 
And <laughs> it was the medicine that finally helped her to calm the pain, calm the anxiety, laugh like we've never laughed before. And it was really hard to get rid of the stigma associated with this. Um, because, you know, ooh, marijuana. But yeah, if the doctor gives you these like benzoates or whatever they're called and, you know, sleeping pills and those things knock you out, nobody thinks that there's anything wrong with that because, you know, it's in a prescription form. It's nice and clean and it doesn't have this stigma. But those things were brutally bad for her. And we went down to the dispensary after a couple of months of these CBD gummies working really well because, you know, she thought it was a good idea to go down there with me. I remember walking into the dispensary with my parents. It was surreal, surreal. Like, what the hell am I doing here? And with my, my dad would ask me if we were going to get arrested when we walked in. I'm like, Dad, no, it's actually legal. It's like going to buy a beer at the store. It's fine. And it's medicinally. We walked up to the dispensary here in California and you tell them, these are the medicines that she's taking and she has a lot of hip pain and leg pain and headaches and they punch in all the medicines and they tell you, oh, there's fine. There's no um, counterindications. I think you could try this oil, this oil. And it was great. She slept better. She was able to actually release some of that stress from the pain. Um, and it was like a whole new adventure of connection with her and me and my daughter and some of my friends. It, it was just seeing her do this was like, where did this come from? I mean, my mom was so strict when we were growing up. Um, I mean, she actually did find some of my weed when I was a teenager and was like, you don't need this, do you? Flush it down the toilet. And I'd be like, no, it's fine. Oh, my God. That was took me so much effort to get. But And now, you know, 20, 30, I don't know how many years later, I'm in the dispensary with my parents. And bless the medicine of the earth. And how dumb is society to ban something like this that we all believe that it's bad. And this is kind of where we're going because the rest of the time that I was with her was a really like a huge transformation for me as well. Just like we believe that, oh, you know, marijuana is bad and this and that. I had these ideas about what a mother should be. And those ideas were slowly dying the closer and closer I got to my mom and to taking care of the doctor and, and seeing exactly what was going on with her physically. Um, she's so polite. My mom has been trained to always be kind and polite. And we'd go to the doctor with her, my dad, me and her. I used to tease her that now I was driving Miss Daisy because now I had to drive them around everywhere. And I have a really flexible job, so I was able to do a lot of these um, outings with them. Uh, I'd say drive him as Daisy. And we would went, we would go to the doctor and she was in horrible pain. She would tell me like, this sucks. I can't believe it. I, I can't walk. And, but also always had a great sense of humor, but we show up at the doctor. How are you, Miss Vilchis? I'm fine. Um, mom, you're not fine. Oh yeah. It's good. Um, how are you? And this was a constant like answer of hers. And it was just interesting for me to begin to notice like you've been programmed to say you're fine and not to be able to express that you're not fine. I don't think it was, I mean, I can very seldom account the times that she actually expressed to the doctor, I'm really in a lot of pain and this sucks. Most of the times it was, I'm okay, how are you? And I would tell the doctor, look, she's not fine. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And, you know, we were her advocates, my siblings and I, because if it was up to her, she would just say that everything's fine and just keep on trucking. And as she began to get a little bit weaker and weaker, I began to realize, like, Mom, I think you've been oppressed. No, I haven't. No, Mom, I really think you were. I mean... Not oppressed, like brutally beaten up or anything, but oppressed in the manner of not being able to speak your voice and say that you're hurting and try to do something about it or stop certain situations because 
because you're a woman and because women are now able to maybe speak the voice and go to college and whatever but maybe when you were young this wasn't a thing and she would tell me no 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 honey I had a great life my family life was amazing and it was so wonderful I'm not saying it wasn't but what I'm saying is maybe you were programmed to think that it was amazing meanwhile you were oppressed because all of your brothers went to college and got an education and did whatever they wanted and you and my aunt were like sort of farmed out to get married which is fine but also maybe you didn't want to or maybe you had other things to do um or maybe you would have had better options if you studied and created your own type of uh income source and and then got married as well you know but it was one or the other and there was never an opportunity for you to express, I don't like this. I think I like this maybe different life or this hurts. I just began to notice how she would deny this and deny this and deny this. And, you know, when you live with your parents for so many years, you see kind of what's up. I love my dad, but he's old school. You know, you wear a short skirt and he makes a joke about it. Maybe you need to pull that skirt down a little. You're showing too much leg. Ha ha ha. Dad, that's not funny anymore. I mean, it never was, but it's even less funny now. And so, you know, these, from spending so much time with her and just being her be weaker and bigger, I began to realize something else that needs to die are the ideas that we think are real. Like the idea that I had about what a mother needed to be. You know, I I always fought a lot with her, like, I want to sing and I want to do these things and you don't. You know, you don't support me and you you, you you judge me in this arrogant look. And, and then I began to realize that was just her fear of me being hurt or judged because deep down inside, she totally loved that I was singing and doing my thing. I mean, this last year, she joined the Resistance Revival Chorus. For God's sake, we started a San Diego Resistance Revival Chorus and she wanted to be a part of the chorus and she would come over on Sunday. My dad would roll her up in a wheelchair because she said she was coming to practice. And she'd sit in circle with us and sing the songs and clap around and be a part of this um, amazing movement that we had going on here in my backyard. And she went to our concert. She dressed up in white because she was going to be part of the show. She came. She wanted to be now a part of my meditation circles you know, I was like, oh, God, Mom, there's these people going to come and you're going to be there asking questions. And you need to be quiet. We're going to meditate. And she said she would do it. She came and the whole meditation was so funny because, you know, I'm guiding these women and I open my eyes, look at my mom. And she's staring at me like, what the hell? I'd be like, Mom, you have to close your eyes. We're meditating. <laughs> and at the end of the meditation, she would clap and say, that was really well done. Like, I approve, you know. Um, it was just funny. There's there's ways that we're trained to be, and there's ways that we judge that training. And that's what I began to realize little by little. Like, she's just this cool chick, and I have this idea that moms need to be a specific way. And little by little, I just began to see her as a sister, as another woman. And some of the stuff that I've had to go through, she's had to go through too. So we began having these conversations about that and and just getting really, really real about what was coming, you know. I had a, I got a, when this happened, I tattooed a, uh, a Katrina skull on my arm, which is, you know, like one of those, well, now you call them sugar skulls, but it's really the death. Um, and she asked me, why did you tattoo that? I'm like, because we're getting ready for this. What are we going to do when you die, Mom? Because I already have everything written down for when I die. I mean, I'd written down my will, my testament, and the advanced directive since my kids were two years old. That's just what we did, Julio and I, because we wanted to be ready. And the first lesson of the thanatology class was, do you have everything in order if you die tomorrow? And not just legally the trust or the will or whatever, but do you have um, letters for your loved ones of what you le- want to leave for them as a legacy and 
what you want them to do in your funeral with your body, where do you want to be buried, how just instructions so that people know what you want. And the better you prepare to die, the better you will live. And, you know, my parents were just staring at me like, what are you thinking? We're not, I'm like, look, I can die tomorrow, get hit by a truck. But Julio and I have talked about this. Let's talk about this. What do we, what do you want to do? Um, because I would like to have an at-home funeral. I don't want when I die, my body to be taken to a mortuary and getting all the embalming stuff and then putting in a box and people come and see me way over there. And I just actually want to have it at the home. And with lots of flowers and lots of incense and beautiful music. And then, I don't know, what do you think, Mom? She'd say, yeah, I think that's nice. But you need to cry a lot. <laughs> of course I'm going to cry a lot. I'm going to be crying the whole time. But, but I mean, you better do that to me too, Ma. Okay? If I die before you, you need to do that. She would get very angry when I mentioned that <laughs> I die before her. Don't you say that. Don't you say that word. Um, and nobody's dying yet. Yes, mom, nobody's dying. But we're preparing so we can live fully every single freaking day as soon as we're done with this meeting here. So we prepared. We talked about the funeral. We talked about whether she wanted to be cremated. And my dad was there. He didn't want to be cremated. Okay, well, what about, what do you want me to say? What music would you like? And she gave us a list of all the songs that she wanted. And she told us we had to cry, cry, cry so, so much at the church with all of her classical music songs. And I said, okay, we're going to cry a lot. And then I asked her one, at one point, I said, mom, what are we going to do like after we're done crying? Do you think we could play like a happy song? And <laughs> She said, yeah, I think we need a happy song. We could sing like, oh, when the saints go marching in. And we would we start singing the song and then she'd be like, oh. And then I can all of a sudden just get up and be like, psych, everybody. I mean, we would laugh so hard planning this because, you know, she was she was just a hoot. Meanwhile, my dad is sitting there staring at us. And my husband tell me later, thanks for the heads up that this was the meeting that we were going for. But we, we, we wrote it all out. And this was in the beginning of the year. You know, she still wasn't in bed in bedridden. Um so yeah, it was about a year ago, and after that, that was done, and that was put out, set aside, and then we could begin to just enjoy every day, continue the fight, of course, because there was still like, let's go to the gym, mom, and let's go to the Pilates, and let's do this, and she, a few months into it, she just didn't really want to, and it took me a while to also understand I need to honor her. And, we, you know, we had this, um, I mean, she's now one of my best friends and I love her. She's a sister, Golden Drake, who came, just began coming over to give my mom like yoga lessons and breathing lessons. It turned out to have this beautiful friendship because they were both breast cancer survivors. And the way that my mom and her connected and talked about different ideas of the lies that we've been told about, what's beautiful and and what's your worth, whether you're young or thin or beautiful or not. And Golden did a lot of videos and interviews with my mom that I'm so grateful for that I can watch again now because, you know, deep down my mom loathed herself. She was so angry that she didn't look good and she was so angry that she couldn't move this way or that way. And it was a constant... Um, cheerleader that she had in Golden to remind her that that was not who she was. That she know that we're so much more and those lies are just oppressors of our freedom, our birthright. Yeah, there's pain and yeah, there's struggle, but we don't need to, on top of that, sabotage ourselves and tell us ourselves that we're not enough and that we're not pretty enough and this sucks because I don't you know I'm not 20 years old I remember I would give my mom you know showers um towards I don't know, maybe six months ago when we started to we had to like redo her bathroom and bring in this little wheelchair um 
to give her bath and she hated it. She was so pissed. Like, how could this be happening? This is horrible and this sucks. And she would tell me, que friega, verdad? Que friega, like this sucks. And I'd be like, mom, are you kidding me? I mean, look at this. We have, you have 75 years of life. And I'm here and I love giving you a shower. Like, this is a privilege that I get to do this for you. And that you're even here. I go, remember Juan? Your nephew Juan, my cousin Juan. Juan, my sweet cousin, passed away in a horrible accident when he was 23. She said, yeah. I go, see, he he was done at 23. Like, no more. He didn't get married, didn't have kids, didn't travel more, didn't have more parties, didn't have grandkids. Um, You had, you know, 50 more years. And here we still are. You're right, huh? Yes, ma. We have to put on some music and let's go outside and let's look at the plants. And we had this amazing community of these friends that just came from the universe. I don't even know. Um, Jillian would come and plant a little garden for her and they would um you know, they they would hang out and chat and honor the mother medicine cannabis, bendita cannabis. And just have these beautiful conversations. And Sarah, this amazing little death doula, also came in to grieve with her and to watch Ram Das movies and to talk about just like um, the wisdom that she carried. You're an elder. You're a wisdom keeper. My mom would be like, what are you talking about, wisdom keeper? And she had another cheerleader to tell her that that's what she was now. The main thing that I began to see is the difference in certain programmings, right? There's like two roads, two avenues. You have to get better. You have to go more to the gym, find a different doctor, do this, do this. And then the avenue of softening into what was really happening. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Yes, we can still try to go to the doctor if we can. But if the doctor is telling you there's nothing else to do, give her all the chocolate she wants. Let her sleep all day if she wants. Whatever Griselda wants, Griselda gets, was what Dr. Cardenas told us in July. And my mom barely passed away in January. We've known all along and she's known all along. And so this last six months of just softening and knowing and every time I'd walk into their house, just being so presently aware that even though it was hard and I had you know teenagers and two businesses and my husband... Uh, you know, yoga classes to teach, and oh my God, it was intense, it was so much, you walked in there awake, present, knowing this is going to end, and these are going to be some of my favorite moments, and just breathing it all in, breathing it all out, and just knowing like, wow, this is a freaking privilege, because I'm walking my parents home. And the universe, goddess, kept bringing more and more and more people like to assist um, Mila. This massage therapist, Reiki girl, came. And this chick was just magical. Some of the things she would see and the way she began to heal my dad and my mom with her Reiki magic. Um, Looking back now, it was like, wow, I mean, we were surrounded by lots of family and friends. Her, you know, her family, her friends, visits, just about every day there was a visit. Um, Different types of um, just synchronicities that I'm looking back now, I'm going like, wow, that was really intensely cool how we found this one doctor who just knew well enough to dry everything she could pacemaker this this and then eventually tell me your mom has had an amazing life she's been coming and going coming and going right now her time is in the bed cuddling up eating chocolate that's what she wants and you know the first couple weeks you don't really want to listen but then she tells you again in a lovely way and you begin to listen and i began to understand um, how we fight this and how we fight this because it's there's so much love and we're so attached to our bodies and so the main recovery for me was the practice the practice the practice 
I dove deep into yoga, every damn day yoga, every damn day meditation, lighting incense, creating ceremonies, praying and offering light and just trying to be self-compassionate with myself and then expressing that to my mom. Lots and lots of self-compassion. In June, I had the opportunity to receive this beautiful scholarship to go to the Hoffman process. I cannot tell you what those seven days of just taught therapy and meditation and meeting other people did for my relationship with my parents. Having, you know, weekly talks with Michelle, Michelle Meeks, who's this amazing, um, I mean, she's a nutrition coach, but she's really, she's really also a priestess, just spiritual guide as well, because she's been through, you know, she was ahead of me in this whole deconstruction process and um, having different people to talk to. Maria Silva, who was my um, IRS meditation teacher, therapist, was just, we had these profound um, experiences on on the realm of the realm of death. And what I learned and what I'm trying to, I think, let you guys know is death doesn't happen in one minute to the next when the heart stops. Death is happening, well, it's happening all the time, but it really, really was a process of these last two years. And the main realm that we saw, the veil was so thin, is in these past four or five months. Thin to the point where I remember calling Eric, the guy from Thresholds, um, sometime in the summer when I knew we need to get ready. Um, because I don't want to be, if my mom passes, scrambling around, calling the funeral. And I called him and I said, look, my mom was still, you know, full of life, but she's also very sick and I need to prepare for this. We had a little talk and he said, you know, I'm with you, whatever you need. Absolutely. Let's meet. Um, he actually even came and was one of our guests at Death Cafe because we reconnected then. And I remember I picked up my son that day from school and I was still on the phone with him. And after we hung up, my son said, you're already calling that guy? And Abu's not even dead. My kids call my mom Abu. I'm like, of course she's not. We're just preparing because when she dies, it's going to be so difficult. And we, the better we prepare to die, the better we live. You know, It's okay, Sandy. These things are things that we need to think about and talk about and actually take action on. I tell you not. I kid you not. 15 minutes into this, my mom calls me because my mom called me 50,000 times a day, every day, but just to talk or FaceTime or laugh or when are you coming over and bring me this or come and teach me how to meditate, whatever. But this time, as soon as I hung up with that guy, 15 minutes later, she called me and said that somebody had called her from a funeral home and that somebody was trying to sell her a packet for when she died. And I was like, what do you mean, Mom? What do you mean someone's calling you from a funeral home? Yeah. Somebody called and they said that they wanted this. And, you know, a lot of people did call her to try to sell things. And But I said, okay, I'll be over in a little bit. I don't, I'll check who called you and we'll, we'll figure it out. And my mom said, yeah, we will. Because you know what I said to them? I said, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> of course you're not, Mom. Of course you're not. And then I went over to her house later and checked who had called. And I didn't see any calls from any vendor from a funeral place. And I thought, damn, I mean, this is the realm we're in. Like, did she really, you know, know this? How do we know this? And there were so many times where I had different situations, waking up at night, not being able to breathe or not being able to sleep. And then the next morning I'd come over and the caregiver and the log that we had for her would say, yeah, she woke up at this specific time and then didn't sleep all night, which was the exact same time that I woke up not being able to breathe and then was up all night, same as her. And this was deep connection of intense, I don't know, energy that um, that is powerful. And scary and powerful, you know. And I went um, a few months after Hoffman. 
I had the privilege of just this manifestation of a beautiful um, opportunity to do ayahuasca ceremony with this woman shaman who came from Peru. Because I had said, the only way I'm going to do shaman uh, ayahuasca is in Peru with a female woman shaman. I just wanted a woman, you know, that's my thing. I didn't want to have some guy. And, but all of a sudden, this chick comes up here, and I find myself with you know, 12 amazing women and drums and fire. And I had this experience that I really, it was transformational. I saw so many things. I saw my grandparents. I saw, you know, my grandmother, my grandfather, my great-grandmother, my dad's mom. And all of the judgment fell off of my shoulders. Like everything, all of the judgment, all of the should-be's died. They fell off. I understood love and essence and that everyone's doing the best they can and that everybody else was oppressed as well. So all the things I talk about here about the bullshit of pretending and trying to do this and, and not being who you really are because you want to make sure people think that you're, you know, got your shit together and you're rich and famous and whatever. It's all everybody else's program like that too. You know, it's not like a judgment thing. But all of these things as I understood and as those ideas shed and I had this beautiful ceremony, I saw my mom and I saw her looking at me, you know, pleading like, I got to go. The only reason I'm here is because of you. You know, you and your brother and your sister and just the 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 kids, you know, the attachment and this love. And so there's this struggle of knowing that you're going in this deep innate wisdom that we forget. And then the attachment to to the body and to the chocolate and the people that are here and I don't want to leave and I don't want to leave and the kicking and screaming of why do I have to die and why does this have to end? And, you know, I'm not sure what tired me most this whole year. Um, fighting with some of her family and some of other friends that continue to ignore the fact that she was leaving and wanted it differently. And uh, I st we stood our ground. No, this is going to be holy and sacred. And it doesn't matter if our hair isn't done and if we're not wearing lipstick. What matters is that this place is harmonized. That we stick together as a family. And that we honor what my mom wants. And that we are aware of the fact that this is difficult. And I don't care if you're Ram Dass or Mother Teresa. I think in the end, everyone's going to struggle. We had, uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, we went over to Christmas dinner. We, it was really, really hard, but my mom rallied, man. She rallied because the last two months, I mean, I told her doctor, I can't. I mean, she's had some, some really kind of intense panic attacks and I can't calm her down. We did the Reiki and, you know, the CBD, marijuana oil and massage, but it's just, it's too much because... Nobody wanted to give her hardcore pain medicines because then that would have been worse. So basically also they ignored her pain for a while um, until finally hospice came in. And hospice is all about comfort, 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 but also be very careful. And I was very careful because I thought, well, I don't want to give her you know, too much of this anxiety medication. I don't know. You know, I'm her fucking kid for crying out loud. I don't want to do things that aren't supposed to, and, but then the nurse would come and say, it's okay, this is the right process, um, you know, we want her to be comfortable, and she was so tired, but she rallied for Christmas, we brought her to my brother's house for Christmas Eve, we really were like, really trying to be flexible, like, do we stay home, and everyone comes over to her house, or do we go over to my brother's house, and the kids, and um, it was just so depressing at the end at her house and I thought okay mom I think we can do this I think we can do this because we um we're equipped and we're going to rally for everybody we went to my brother's house it was a beautiful dinner it was so beautiful and so freaking sad as well because my mom was a little bit more detached by then when a person's about to pass you start to kind of like detach because it's part of the way of saying goodbye 
Um, you don't really, you know, want to talk to that many people. I mean, you, you do want to be with people, but you start to just, I think you just start to realize, oh my God, this is going to end. And, um, and when we came home that day, I spent the night at her house. And I laid her on the bed and got her ready for bed. She looked at me and she said, I'm ready. I was like, um, ready for what? Um, ready for you to, you know, lift me up, side up, like she already was. And I thought, oh, God, you're so dumb. I mean, here you are thinking you're this, like, fucking meditation guru. And you don't even get it. But it's just, it's human nature. She's my mama. I wanted her to tell me, I'm ready to die. Okay? Um... But that's basically what she was saying. So I said, all right, this is it. Went to sleep. My mom was uh, having a hard time breathing. I had a dream that night that two people came and knocked on the door and they were coming in. These two kind of weird looking chicks, they come in and I was like, who are you girls? No, 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 no. You guys got to leave. You guys, I don't think you're at the right place. I don't know you. I escorted them out. They walked outside closed the door, went back to bed, and then I woke up, and I thought, oh, that was weird, um, what was that about, I was like, well, they're coming to get her, or, or was that me and my sister denying that she's leaving, or was that, you know, I don't know, I don't know who that was, let's light on some incense, and sit in silence, and understand that we don't know anything, but everything changes, and my mom said, I told her, Mom, Sarah's going to come over later. Um, Isn't that cool? She's going to come by. And Sarah's, my mom said, Sarah's Instagram is everything true is free. I was like, yeah, that's her Instagram. Everything true is free. I remember my mom turning to me and saying, well, my Instagram's going to be everything dead is final. I was like, Ma, you can't. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but that's the, that's the, the, point where she was at you know like thinking this is it this is final and so you know a few hours later when no one was there I sat down there I'm like you really think it's final huh well yeah I was like well I don't really I don't know I mean I don't know anything but I don't really think it's final she would look at me I'm like honestly I mean I see so many things you know I've sensed spirits here and there also, you know, I just saw your parents at the ayahuasca ceremony a couple of months ago. <laughs> she looked at me like, what? I'm like, I did. And I had already told her about that. I actually showed her a documentary. She said she wanted to come with me for the next one. Um, you know, I had conversations with her that I never knew were possible to have with a mom. For the, I'm telling you. One of the other funny things that happened, too, is sometime in the middle of, I don't know, I don't even know, it's all a big blur, but at one point, where she was still, uh, had a little bit more energy, my dad said, your mom wants a priest, she wants to talk to the priest, I'm like, my mom, she doesn't, what are you talking about, she thinks that religion is dumb, but whatever, so I went over there with my daughter, and I'm like, hey mom, I heard you asking for a priest, um, we also hadn't been over there in a couple of days, so sometimes she pulled these things just to get us to come over. And my daughter said, yeah, Abu, what's up with that? What do you mean you need a priest? You're the priestess. Well, you know, might as well do the confession just in case I die soon. I'm like, confession for what, Mom? Well, you know, whatever, the sins. You think you have sins? What sins do you have, Mom? What are you talking about? Well, I might have some, and just in case... And so, of course, my dad asked David to come, and he came over, I don't know, not that day, but a few few, few days later, on a Sunday, I was out of town on a retreat, and I told my sister, you better make sure she asks the questions she needs to ask, because she has a lot of questions. And I'm not sure if she asked the questions or not, because she would forget things. Um, with the stroke, she lost a lot of her memory, um, short-term memory, because she remembered long-term things. And I remember her... I said, Mom, did you ask? Oh, no, my sister asked her, Well, did you ask all the questions? No, I forgot. Well, what did you want to ask him? Well, I forgot to ask him, What happens when you die? And my sister told her, 
Well, how is he going to know if he hasn't died yet? Nobody knows. But, um, you know, she did her thing. She she was seeking till the end, um, finding different avenues of coping, of preparing. At one point, she told a few months after that, uh, she asked me, do you think it's like, what do you think about, you know, gay people? I'm like, what do you mean what I think? What do you mean, mom? She says, well, I think everyone's the same. I think it's, I think it's fine. I'm like, well, that's what I think. I think love is love. It doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, ma, I think that's true. Um, and then she would ask me questions about different religious beliefs. Like she was just seeking till the end. I remember being kind of pissed off. When she brought the whole priest thing, going to my teacher, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She's the one that told me coexist, all religions, everything's free. And now she wants to talk to the priest. Like, what is she doing? And Eddie, this wise woman said, you know, everybody gets to seek until the day they die. That's what we're here to figure out. And if she wants to ask those questions or talk to a priest or talk to, you know, a Buddhist or talk to whatever or or sing along with golden and breathe and see that beauty. It's all part of the same journey. It's just different language. So here's my mom dying, schooling me on, you know, dropping judgments and just noticing. <laughs> and when she finally did pass, I tell you what, it was intense. And we were all there with her. We got together, the, just, you know, her husband, her two daughters and son siblings and those grandkids and it was surreal just like sitting there like we were there every Sunday but just sitting there knowing I knew I like stood back as the witness and just saw like wow this is like this is what she's created you know this union this um laughter this these kids and that are just so free way more free in many aspects of thought and spirit. And, um, and a few days later, when she was in agony, she saw Irene. You know, she's like, Irene. She was looking out towards the window, and my sister's like, did she just say Irene? And Irene is like our second mom. Irene is, I mean, my mom practically raised Irene with us, but Irene was 15 years old when she came to um, take care of us when we were little, little, little in Mexico City. She died when my daughter was about nine or ten years old, um, maybe even younger, but it was just a trip, you know, some of the things that she would see or say before then, the veil was so thin, and we were there with her, and when she passed, we had this beautiful ceremony ready, blocked everybody out, it was just uh, my daughter and, you know, Golden, Sarah and Amalia and Alejandrita was on her way and it was just, we had planned this ritual of just warm water with lots of petals of flower, rose petals and we cleaned her, we bathed her and we sang songs and we burned incense and flew it over her with her feather. We breathed and we anointed her with oils and essential oils. And my daughter was there. I'd call her. I said, Mom, you know, Paula, Abu's dead. Do you want to come by? Well, I don't want to, but I'm coming. And she came and she witnessed this and she wept next to me. I could not. I mean, I was grieving and crying, but it was so beautiful. Um, it was this gift of honoring her there. And we were like floating in the air. And at one point, I felt this surge of like energy beautiful like power and I just looked at her and I said you are now I said she's an ancestor now I remember Golden looking to me just honoring that statement and you know, her eyes were like just close to weeping and my sister said that during that moment she also felt this beautiful surge she was by her feet of like this purple beautiful light coming in her through my mom into her these, these things that we take for granted.
granted, like that we fight, that we that we fly away from death. Someone come take her and embalm her. This was sacred. It was intense. Meanwhile, my dad was in the back sofa watching, and my brother also watching us women just going around her in this dance of anointing with oils and honoring her. And then we brought her beautiful purple we peel and dressed her with her white linen pants. And when it was time to put her on the bed where she was going to lay during the at-home funeral, we brought all of her beautiful shawls and laid them on the bed. And um, And my brother helped with that. And once it was ready, him and my dad and all of us, we helped carry her onto the bed. And just talking about this, I'm like, what a freaking honor to be able to do this with our body, the body that, you know, is the portal that we came through into here, into this life. We did her makeup while Sarah got flowers and golden lit incense and decorated. And my sister was just, I mean, we were all just doing this dance around her. Nobody was talking. It just flowed like magic. Did her makeup and finally she was ready. She looked so pretty. Then Eric came by, you know. Um, right, the logistics are well. How long do you want to view her for? I said a couple of days, maybe. You know, her sister was out of town. She needed to come back. Her siblings were really. I mean, people are on vacation, so we needed to make sure everyone got to say goodbye. And, you know, so they bring, you can do this at home with dry eyes. Catch a little dry eyes, put it under your back, brings the body temperature down. And there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, you just lower the body temperature and place your hands how you want them to be placed. And that morning, Marlo, the music therapist from hospice, had called and said, you know, she was going to come over to play some songs. And then she heard that she passed and I asked her to come by anyway. And so it's like we had her beautiful music and people started coming in and out of the house and experiencing this portal of sacredness of goodbyes and of honoring and of remembering and of awe of like I know how did you do this well I don't know because Lorenza did it with Luisi and I saw that 10 years ago and then I learned all of this in the thanatology class this is how it's supposed to be People would die in their homes. And to the degree that you can, you can have the viewing there. Keep the place sacred. And then we viewed her the next day again, all day until it was time for them to come and get her at night. And then again, it was another beautiful, sacred moment of goodbye. You know, and they're so, I mean, the threshold people are so cool. They were like, this is what's going to happen. And we're going to, you know, wrap her in this sheet and, you know, to honor her um, privacy and dignity. We do have to cover her to go on the way out. And they're explaining this to my dad, my brother, my sister, my uncle who's there, a couple of aunts that were still there. And I'm weeping. But it was like a satisfaction weeping. Like it was sad, but not like tragic if that makes sense it was like beautiful i was like we did this we were able to honor you and we we were present this whole time and you know when when they you know of course you keep your her beautiful we peel and everything and whatever you want to go to get cremated so we put these sage um, bundles in her hands and filled her pockets with palo santo because she loved palo santo and we we're wrapping her in the sheet towards the top they said oh, now we're gonna have to wrap her head you know they will prepare you for it and even when they wrapped her head I was like oh this is like Jesus and I said that out loud <laughs> my sister was like yeah that's what I was just thinking you know like they wrapped him in the sheet and like there was no fear it was like oh this is beautiful this is what we do with you know with our dead and then everybody had to lift her up and then my brother came in and uncles and you know my husband, my sister's husband lifted her on the bed and they all carried her out to put her in the 
car to take her away. And it was all the men now. Exiting her out. Exiting the queen into her chair. Into her chariot. Um, and as they put her in, it was just, okay, there she goes. The guy was very respectful, and he was like, anything else, any other questions, anything that can help you? And, of course, Julio broke the ice. He's like, drive safe, you know. <laughs> and then off she went, and it was like, bye, Ma. We came back into the house, and Golden said, okay, now we must sage the house. We had lots of people coming and going, and all of a sudden, another dance began that we didn't plan because my mom wanted us to sing when the saints went marching in. So we opened up the windows. We're starting the sage. And Golden remembers and said, wait, your mom said we had to sing. Oh, when the saints go marching in. And she starts singing. And everyone starts singing along with her. And I grab the speaker. And we, and I find the playlist. And we punch it up. And there's everybody moving furniture. Chris taking out the bed, the hospital bed outside. And my dad's sweeping. And somebody else is mopping. And we're opening up the windows. And... My aunts and Julio and everyone's rearranging the furniture. And I was like, what a shift of energy. The love and the closure that we were able to have was just a gift. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom, for the gift. For the honor to be able to have done this. Um, it, it was a struggle, you know. It was a fight. We fought a lot of people to be able to do what we thought was right, what her husband and kids thought was right. And through our talks to her, that she said that that's what she wanted. And now she's gone from her body, but I tell you what, the day after the viewing, I woke up and I was walking around. We had one more day of viewing and she was, I was like, okay, I'm going to go over there in a minute. I was walking around getting my, you know, have matcha tea with almond milk every morning and I sit outside and I do my meditation and I walk with the dogs so that they and I noticed like 20 minutes into doing my routine that I was doing deep 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 inhales and deep 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 exhales without really consciously doing it's just like I was like whoa that's a trip like I'm not really controlling it like I'm not really I feel like I'm in a yoga class but whatever and I kept on walking and I just noticed later wow I'm still doing that then I realized my mom's breathing me <laughs> like my mom is breathing me she's now one like we all are and she's like breathing through me one of my friends Martha sent me this amazing text that I'm going to read you before we end here she says I'm thinking of you friend and she writes this no coming no going no after no before I hold you close I release you to be free I am you and you are me and I thought yeah that's that's what I'm sensing right now you know, when my mom would say, what do you think about this? What do you think is stressing? Well, what are we sensing? What are we feeling? What are we innately knowing in our senses, in our body right now? I sensed you, Ma. I sensed you breathing me. And it's a trip because the next day, you know, we're walking around. We went to breakfast with my dad and turned the corner. I'm like, where's my mom? Like, we, we need to make sure she's walking. Oh. Oh. She's not here anymore. <laughs> Oops. And, you know, two, three hours later, again. Wait, where'd she go tell mom that, oh, oh she's gone. And I'm sure it's going to hit me. I may or may not publish this post, but, you know, there's a lot more that happened, but I'm so uh, overwhelmed right now with the love and the messages and the response and how everybody just cared for her and thought that she was so freaking cool and you know she saw you for who you were and she was just a friend a good 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 friend um so thank you everybody who sent messages and 
commented on Facebook posts and came to the viewing and whoever's going to go to the service on Saturday, just thank you for every message that you send touches my heart. I show it to my dad, my siblings and I share it. And you know, the grandkids, oh man, they loved our apples so much. So, you know, um, when you show up without fear, when you show up for other people that are going through this, that's where, that's where it is. And so who, all, all those of you who showed up and all those messages, I thank you because you are part of the medicine of us now walking through what's coming up, you know, her absence and, um, taking care of my dad now, making sure, you know, that he feels surrounded, um, as we now just continue to walk each other home (laughs) in the beauty of life and in the sacredness of death. Thanks for listening to Tales of Recovery and uh, we'll see you next time.